Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here. Today I am with longtime friend uh, Theo Chambers, Shaw Financial. I was just saying to you a second ago, um, mate, congratulations on all your recent success. Your business has been growing. It's been Thank around you. what, 10, 11 years now? Uh, eight years. Eight, we celebrate our eighth anniversary uh, last week. Wow. Yeah. And, and huge numbers. Like you. Are you the biggest in the industry or what's... We're the largest independent industry. Um, in those eight years, we did 16.9 billion in applications, which was a record for, you know, someone in eight years, you could say. Mm. Um, number one independent brokerage for the last four years in a row. We're hiring and growing. We're being as innovative as we possibly can in terms of technology and making sure we have a point of difference to consumers compared to the traditional mortgage broking model. And, and look, I, I actually see and follow a couple of your brokers online. It looks like all your guys are more than just brokers. Yeah. Financial strategists, they understand the property market. They're well-versed on a number of different things. They're not just... Yeah, spot on. So we try and make sure our mortgage brokers are, are more advisors. Um, you know, we have a very relationship-driven model where the broker builds a long-term relationship with the client, similar to what you would with your accountant, right? Yeah. So you're going back to speak to that one person. A lot of the new age mortgage brokerages, they break up the chain into three, four sort of points of contact throughout the process, which means the consumer doesn't really have a relationship with anyone in that organisation. Mm. Um, we want to maintain the fact that the consumer feels like they have a relationship with someone at the business. It's a, that's definitely a point of difference and, and like everyone out there, today's podcast is not about promoting you know, <laughs> work and, and his business, but it is important what, what he's talking about because all of you out there that are looking for um, a, a mortgage broker or someone to help you with financial affairs, that long-term relationship is vitally important, especially when you're establishing that strategy. A lot of newer organizations are w moving towards digitization and trying to get computers and technology to do all the heavy, lift, heavy lifting because it's cheaper. But mm. I think that this is a better way to do it. People well, we, people. we still also try and use computers and systems and programs and processes to do a lot of that heavy lifting. You know, we have a, a CRM system that's automated a lot of the process. We're trying to implement that where possible, but then without taking away the fact that someone wants their hand held by a physical person through the process. Agreed. Get the computers to do stuff that is autonomous and boring and mm. get people to work with people. Yeah, well, you've got to also realise buying property are the biggest transactions people make in their lifetime and they probably only make a handful of them. Mm. So they don't want a system or a, or a software to tell them what to do through those processes. I, 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 when you said that, it reminds me of a quote and everyone bloody quotes Warren Buffett, but he says when you're investing, you pretend you've got a six-shooter gun. Mm. You're going to make each one of those shots count. Mm. So if you're going to take a shot, make sure you're one, know what you're doing, you've got the right people around you mm. and the right support system to kind of do this thing properly. I really like that. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> or yours. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell Warren about that, that you're going to borrow it. Yeah. Um, mate, the reason why I like having you on the show is because you are one of the biggest independent of uh, brokering, uh, brokerage firms out there is you, I feel like you got your finger on the pulse, you're kind of ahead of the, the curve and you understand what's happening in the market. All of your brokers and all your team and all your clients are informing you what's happening and what people are thinking, feeling. You kind of get a sense on how much lead flow is coming into the system as mm. well. And that kind of is a like an early sign on where the property market is going. But then also, 
I feel like you talk to a lot of big heavy hitters and industry representatives and understand what's happening with the government policy and, and what's happening with the banks and credit. Mm. Um, would you be able to just talk a b- briefly about a market update? What's going on, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, look, I think the last time we got together was almost a year ago. It was right as the you know COVID hit, lockdown um, happened and everyone thought the world was ending. And um, for us at work, definitely in April, sort of May, um, the, everyone just sort of paused. Uh, the whole market just paused and didn't know what to do. Um, once they realised the world wasn't ending um, and you know, things looked maybe like an opportunistic time to buy, then the market took off. Um, we saw then three RBA rate cuts, you know, three cuts of the cash rate, which is now making it six in total in the last two years. Um, there's not much more to go as well where the current cash rate sits at. So um, I, I, I can't um, see another cut, cash rate cut coming, you know, and you know, there is discussion of negative rates, but I think where we're at right now is probably sustainable. Um, on top of that, look, there was obviously the, the attitude that the bank, that the government gave to the banks around pausing your repayments. It was, yeah. it was a bit of a government initiative that, that, that the banks then owned and took on board um, and said, yep, if you want to pause your payments, let us know. Um, Everyone sort of jumped on that bandwagon without actually really being in financial sort of difficulty or strife, you could say. Yeah, I felt I felt like a lot of people around me thought this was free money time or... Well, yeah, the, the banks were really accommodating with it. They didn't need to, you know, some banks did want to see that, you know, have you lost your job or something like that. But most banks, you could just apply for it, which was so different to what happened in the GFC, right? Mm. In the GFC, when a, a bank caught got wind of... A potential risk with you defaulting on your mortgage, they would they would come in and start negotiating with you and look at basically making you sell your property. Now it was let's get through this together. Let's not make you sell. Let's just add as much debt on top of you to your debt as possible, um, and let's talk about it in the new year, <laughs> which yeah. is which is where we are now. And it people did do it in a reasonable manner in the sense that so I think it got to about 11 percent of total housing loans were on pause uh, at around uh, April, May last year. Yeah, makes sense. But by October, so not long after, a few months after, it dropped back down to 3 to 4%. And is that um, is that like a normal rate? Was it a normal rate? No, no, no. It was b- below 1% prior to that. Of You know, mortgage arrears was very low. Okay. Um, and arrears has been steadily dropping for a good five or so years prior to that because rates have been dropping. You know, we've seen a downward trend in interest rates for a good 10 years. Um, so arrears has also been dropping with that. That's interesting because one of the massive concerns and things that I, or question that I was fielding at that time is, hey, what happens when the market blows up? GFC, the banks are going to take assets. Huge amount of supply is going to come into the market. Whole market's going to tank. Look at how many people are taking advantage of this. Um, delayed or delaying our mortgage repayments or stopping them. This is a clear indication that there's too much debt in the system and people can't afford it. The whole market's going to blow up. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, I've heard that um, that doomsday um, spiel. You could say several times. When Eight we, uh, years, you'd hope so. Huh? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have been talking about how the, it's a debt fueled economy, and yeah, look, there's some elements of truth to that, definitely. Um, however, debt in America is how America sort of rallied out of the GFC, you know. Yep. It, it provided s- huge growth in their share markets. It provided 
uh, a powerful economy and it just look at look at their their economy now they're at all-time highs you know um it was a scary sort of time last year but it was exactly what they said in the sense of that that uh v-shaped recovery mm. yeah, the the market crashed but then recovered straight away um, it was a shock to the system it was a shock to the system because it, it was literally like a the you know hollywood movie of is the world about to end? Are we all going to die of some deadly virus? <laughs> I remember sitting up at two a.m. think watching all these scary videos about the Black Plague. And yeah, yeah. Thinking, Charlotte, fuck tomorrow. We're going to go buy all the frozen veggies. Yeah, I did buy some frozen veggies, and I. I think I, they're still in the freezer. Yeah, <laughs> I watched that uh, outbreak and contagion movie. <laughs> yeah, all the worst case scenarios came. Like I was, I was terrified, but I, I I have to say that during that time I, I did keep a level head and I did make help clients buy some investments and, and set ourselves mm. up. Did you, were you talking to many people that during that scary time were buying assets or were a bit kind of aware of what they were in? Yeah, so lots of people, we had record amounts of people sort of from June, July onwards start inquiring to get pre-approved to get to the property market because once they, cash the, once they, once they cut the cash rate three times, it made it very appealing for people to go buy. Mm. Um, also, with the volatility that we witnessed last year in the share market, people probably felt more secure and safe to buy property. Um, you know, it's something that doesn't crash as aggressively as the share market did last year. Yeah. Um, you know, and I feel like the working from home arrangements that everybody adopted made people put more emphasis on having a nice home, you know. So um, people were looking to renovate or upsize. Um, huge amounts of refinances, probably double our normal volume of refinances because... The media was big on pushing um, the fact that you should, you know, check your current rate and look at refinancing. Fixed rates dropped to, you know, 1.8, 1.9%. It's funny, actually. With the last two, three rate cuts, RBA rate cuts I'm talking about, most of the banks, in fact, all of them, didn't move their variable rate at all. They didn't pass on any discount to the standard variable rate. What they instead did was just really slash their fixed rates. That's uh, interesting. So that point one funding that the government basically pledged to all the major banks and saying get this out and support the economy with it, um, they that pretty much went straight to their fixed products. Now the reason I believe they're doing that is because churn with clients and you know people refinancing and and swapping banks is at you know all time highs with everything going on. And I think consumers are just more aware that you, you need to constantly look at your current mortgage and, and look at refinancing every two, three years. So is that an opportunity? So 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 sorry to cut you off, mm -hmm. but is is that an opportunity in the market where you know uh, someone getting debt should look at fixed rates? Is that something that we should be doing? Well that's what I'm saying. That the major banks are saying they'll take a lower margin on fixed rates. You know, they take they'll they'll put you on a much lower rate to secure you for three, four years. So you don't refinance in, in a year or two time and the cost of establishing the loan is pretty, well, pretty much washed in the face of the, of the one, two year transaction, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, it, there is an opportunity if you, if you are committed to keeping your current property and your current mortgage for three, four years, fixing for three, four years right now is definitely a, a quite opportunistic in terms of very attractive rates. And you know, where do you see the mortgage market going or financial products or instruments or, you know, do you think that there's going to be a bit of, uh, it's going to be harder or easier over time to get more debt? And Great question. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have got this uh, misunderstanding about 
um, you know, oh, there's a big change coming with responsible lending. It's going to be a lot easier to borrow money. The, the change has already happened. It happened probably, uh, it was around July 2019 when APRA dropped the assessment rate from 7.25 to a margin above what you actually pay. Okay. So it was a flat 7.25%, um, but then they said, you know what, we're just going to make it 2 to 2.5% two above what you actually pay. So as rates go down, your borrowing capacity goes up. So that's already been in place, like I said, for almost two years now. Um, and a lot of the stuff that happened in the uh, Royal Commission in terms of us having uh, banks and brokers having to really scrutinise bank statements and go through credit card statements and verify living expenses, that's already sort of come a little bit unstuck as well, that you don't have to scrutinise statements as much anymore. Some banks don't even need the statements anymore. Um, so a lot of the... Is, ch that, is that because of um, open banking or is it because they're more transparency with data or is it because they don't really care or need it? Well, they're taking... So the change that's, you know, happening this year in terms of responsible lending is they're going to put more of the burden back on the consumer, right? So if someone takes a loan they can't afford, instead of always scrutinising the bank and the broker who might have written the loan in the first place like they did the last 10 years, yep. it's up to the consumer to declare to us their accurate living expenses. You know, if they're telling us their living expenses is four or $5,000 a month, we'll take it on board as that's four or 5000 a month. Um, Does that mean that there is a, a, like a bit of an issue brewing? Like, do you think that that... There's still the guidelines and, and minimum amounts we have to abide to in terms of APRA and NCCP and all that. So we still, you know, have a minimum assessment rate we need. We still have minimum living expenses we have for a single applicant or dual applicants with, with you know, two dependents. So there's still minimums. Um, however, we there's less burden on the broker or bank to verify these minimums meet, you know, what they're telling us or whatever it may be. And does that mean that if these these regulations do come into play, responsible lending does get peeled back, there will be uh, a greater access to debt for the average consumer? That's, that's my point. That greater access to debt has already happened. It's been in place for the last year or so. And as interest rates are coming down, your borrowing capacity has been subsequently uh, in increased, increasing. So, but more so with less paperwork. Like, for instance, if I had crazy spending habits, now I don't declare those spending habits. But they will still, you know, yeah. You basically, if you've got crazy spending habits, you can probably hide that crazy spending habit more yeah. easily these days. But yeah. they still will put a minimum based on who you are. If you're a de facto, if you've got children. They still, that all still gets factored in as a minimum requirement. You know, and I've got to say, like, I don't know what your opinion on this is, but I feel like that is prudent. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Like, mm. if I'm an adult, just because I've been spending one way up until this moment doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to change my spending after. Well, especially if you're committed to buying a property, right? You're going Correct. to be you're going to be naturally stressed yourself about the transaction. You're going to be looking at your rent you're currently paying. Let's say you're renting and you're moving into an unoccupied purchase. You're going to be looking at what rent you've been paying what your mortgage repayments are going to be. And if there's a major difference between the two, you're going to be concerned about having to make up that difference. On that note, though, the major difference between most people who are renting and the interest what they would pay on buying that property is a lot less. Mm. That's why there's a lot of people buying property at the moment because it's cheaper to buy the property and borrow the money than it is to rent it. Yeah, and do you think then with that last statement 
the property market is going to have much of a change this 12 months. All the economists are talking 30% over three years and all sorts of crazy numbers. Do you agree with any of that? So, I look, I had a bullish view towards the property market the moment they started cutting the interest rates last year. You know, even though, without naming names, um, certain very high-level uh, bank executives were predicting and forecasting huge... 15% drops. Yeah, up to 30s, you know, yeah. one, one person said. Um, ironically, some of those people, I know for a fact, were looking at properties themselves. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they, whilst they're saying the property market's coming up 15 to 30%, they're out there looking at, you know, huge luxury houses themselves. They're going out to auction the following yeah. weekend. Maybe it was a tactic to scare off the other buyers. But, <laughs> yeah. um, and they quickly retracted that comment within you know three to six months and they changed their forecast and they now believe that yeah there's some good growth um in the property market the year ahead we've had good growth already uh, i believe the medium house median house price in sydney has surpassed what it was pre-covid yeah um and in the next 12 months i personally think it's going to be a, a great year in the property market um, double digit growth I think we could hit double-digit growth in good sought-after areas. Yep. You know, it's all about supply and demand. You know, um, areas where there's not a huge amount of supply, which is generally the whole of Sydney. You know, there's not a huge amount of supply much in Sydney, um, just because it's quite quite hard for developers to to add huge apartment blocks anywhere. Really, the approval ratings and stuff are down. Yeah, though they are starting to come back up. But even though the approval ratings are starting to come back up, it's still. A Twenty-four month lag, anyway. Yeah, yeah, they Sometimes can't more, and they can't keep up keep up with demand. You know, the the supply of housing compared to the demand of housing is it's just a, a endless chase. Okay, and you know we're talking a lot about the market. We we anticipate that you know debt is relatively easy at the moment. It, it may be getting easier with responsible lending. We feel like um, you know property market because I agree with you is going to rally over the next. 12, 24 months, I do anticipate double-digit growth. Um, now, for the people that are there, they're like, listen, we're convinced. We want to buy property. There are a number of different structures that are available to us. I just wanted to talk about some of those with you and what the differences are, what they mean, and, and strategically, how does that impact a purchaser? Um, the first question I want to ask you is really around first home buyers. Mm -hmm. Um, people in their mind think that the average first home buyer is like a 23-year-old, you know, tradie or something. I've got good stats on that. Yeah. So we know that that's far from not far from that. So in Sydney in particular, the average first home buyer is 39 years old, mm -hmm. and 40% of them are buying with dual income, as in husband and wife or de facto couple buying together. Very different to what people expect a first home buyer to be. Yeah. You know, I, I think on um, other areas of Australia, it's it's lower age, but the Sydney market in particular, is just so expensive to enter. So it's hard to do it on your own in terms of one income. Um, and it's hard to do it at, you know, a young age. And may I ask, if, if you're a first home buyer and, you know, let's just say you're a first home buyer and you're going for some of the the first home buyer benefits from the bank, Mm -hmm. from the government. Um, does the story that you tell the bank and the government have to be the same? And what I mean by that... <laughs> this is a... Uh, contentious question. <laughs> yeah. Now, the reason why I ask it is because I've had people say, hey, you know, this is going to be my first home, but I will turn it into an investment property and I don't want to be paying, say, principal and interest versus interest only. So the government, I believe, is quite open-minded to those type of conversations and those scenarios, right? I think they're 
religiously going through every single transaction and first home buyers grant they've given out in the past and making sure the person's living in the property. Um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it might have changed, but I believe the qualifying metrics is that you need to have lived in the property at any for six months at any period within the first 12 months. Correct. So in the 11th month, you can move in for six months. Yep. Um, they just want to support, you know, someone feeling like they have a roof over their head, you know. It is the Aussie dream to buy, buy a home. It's very Australian to um, be focused on buying a property. In America, for example, people aren't as focused on buying a property and having the, the roof over their head. People are more content with renting. Same Certainly not in the UK. It's I was difficult. about to say, same in, in Europe, you know. It, it's People are happy just to rent. Um, so here, the government supports it and the incentives are stronger than ever. Um, it's just about finding a property that you can you can qualify for those incentives with. And how do the banks respond to that? So when I'm saying I'm buying, using my first homeowner's grant, does that then mean I have to do P&I, structure it as a, my, my own home debt? Or could I go and feasibly buy my first in home but turn it into investment but therefore get investment debt? It's very case by case. That's a good question. Um, Technically, if they want to see that you're applying for the first homeowner's grant, they want to see it being able to be serviced on a owner-occupied basis, mm-hmm. which is also then a P&I basis. It's hard for these days. The, the banks are very reluctant to give a interest-only loan to an owner-occupied borrower. You need to have a really good reason. Um, yeah. And, yeah, you can, you know, in some situations try and get that, 12-month rule over the line to factor in rent, but it's a challenge. And is it... Because I, I remember buying property a while ago and it was great because you could go get 90 95 almost 100% interest only. Mm. Are those days coming back again? Great question, actually. I was just about to say when you mentioned that, that there's definitely more accommodating lending policy coming out, right? Um, so low-doc loans have, have come back and they're very competitive. A low-doc loan is someone who hasn't got their financials sorted or their financials might be a bit all over the place with written-off expenses and whatnot, um, and they can just put down a 20 to 40% deposit, um, not worry about having to you know, have attractive financials and submit tax returns to get the loan approved. Um, a healthy deposit. They used to charge a risk fee, which is basically called an establishment fee, once a fee up front of about 0.5 to 1%. Um, they've waived them at the moment, so there is no establishment fees for low-doc loans for some banks. And the rate used to be 5 to 6% about five years ago. Now it's like 3.4. So you, lo, that's awesome. I didn't know that. So mm. low-doc loans are one coming back. Yep. They're making it easier for you to get in and also they're reducing the rates of competitive not yep. loan shark levels. Yep, they've waived the establishment fees and they've and they've dropped the rates. Um, even other things like, you know, 90 to 95% loans with no mortgage insurance for professionals that are low risk like, you know, doctors, any medicos, accountants, lawyers, um, engineers. Um, if you've got a good story about, you know, someone who's clearly on a good career path, you can you could probably get that over the line with a bank to waive mortgage insurance and lend at high levels. That's extremely important note there mm. because that can cost you tens of thousands for LMI, mm. lenders mortgage insurance. Mm. And if you've got the right, not right, but a career that the government or that the banks approve, 
they'll waive tens of thousands of dollars for you. Yeah, at some of the levels I've seen, it's it's more than tens of thousands. It's over a hundred thousand dollars. I've seen banks in the last six to nine months do things that I've never seen them do in the 11, 12 years I've been in broking. Um, it's it's crazy what I'm witnessing at the moment, even the way they'll accept verifying income. You know, normally they've had a very black and white policy of looking at the last two years, you know, either averaging the two or taking the lower, depending on what bank. Um, you know, I've got clients right now that I'm dealing with that we're annualising current year-to-date income, you know. Um, it obviously needs to be a good sort after profession, you know. Um, you know what, uh, for example, anaesthetists and anyone in the medico industries, they they absolutely love. Okay, for all the anaesthetists, <laughs> I was brave of me to even say that word. Yeah, yeah, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> um, they, so they, they so they can annualize your current your, your, the amount that you're writing month to month. Yep, I've seen people join the industry just after finishing their specialist training, you know, um, and within their first year, uh, the bank hasn't even got seen a, a full financial year tax return of income and they'll take the current year-to-date annualise. And that current year-to-date might be three or four months income, mm. which they'll annualise. That's awesome. Yeah. And so if, if I'm getting a sense that it's almost, we're going back to early 2000s lending criteria where they're starting to look at giving away a bit more investment-centric debt because that was kind of not on the books for a long time. If you can just put a case forward that makes sense, right? There has to be some numbers that they're working off to come to a certain assumption or calculation, right? You can't just say this person's going to earn X next year because I believe they will, you know? Right. It's, it, you have to forecast an earning or something like that based off some form of information you have. But they're making exceptions that they wouldn't in the past. So this is where it comes into play where, you know, you actually have to have a good loan writer. Yeah, you really need someone that actually understands how the banks look at things and view things and will consider exceptions. Is that the big difference? Aside from the fact that, you know, a broker can take you to any bank, the ability to sort of write the loan, like what the story is and how you explain who this candidate is and you're fitting the regulation for each of those banks? Yeah, well, look, KYC is all about know your client, you know. um, That was introduced years ago and it's, you know, I think the level of work that goes into your summary notes has definitely increased in the last five years. That's been going on for a while. You know, when you submit an application, you really need to have some detailed notes about their their, um, career, their employment history, their job security, um, you know, they even the new changes coming to um, your credit report and, and credit um, sort of reporting and VITA files in terms of your past history of repayments on any credit facility you have. You know, it doesn't need to be... In the past, it used to be that your credit report was based on times that you've really um, gone into arrears and it's been marked as a default. Now, it'll just note late payments as in you could be just a week over on one credit card statement. Shit, you're scaring me. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking back, have I done any bad, any bad things in my credit report? So now it's filed for as long as you've had those credit facilities. It'll, it'll summarise all the times that you've been late on payments, um, even if it's a few days. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, mate, I, I want to ask you, I know that you're, you've, you, you're hiring you know, 
10, 20 staff, your business is growing. So I don't want to keep you away from that because I'm sure you're doing heaps of interviews and stuff. But I wanted to ask you one more question. Mm-hmm. Very important. Are you buying something this year? Are you buying <laughs> any more property this year or next year? I am looking actually to buy a property. Um, I, I've sort of ironically tapped out of borrowing power in my personal name because um, I, don't, I don't really sell anything. I've never sold a property. I've only bought. Um, I am now looking at um, an investment in my super because SMSF lending is also becoming a bit more feasible. That's actually not 100% true. It's There's less lenders doing it as opposed to five or ten years ago. However, the one or two lenders that have come into the market offering it are offering really attractive terms at the moment. Um, okay. You can get up to 80% and low rates. That's something we might have to talk about. Mm. And um, so you're looking to go and get a, a property, drop it into your, your super. SMSF. Yeah, well, I just feel the big, you know, super versus share, I mean, property versus shares within your super. Um, the difference is, you know, your whatever cash balance you have in your, or just, you know, balance you have in your superannuation. If you put it you know, in the share market, you're aiming for five, to five to ten percent growth, right? But if you use that as a deposit on a property, and let's say you go buy something for eight hundred fifty thousand or a million dollars, you're actually aiming for five to ten percent growth on the property value, of which eighty percent is borrowed money. It's much larger number. Much larger number. You're looking at making five to ten percent on the bank's money. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I actually did a whole video on that just the other day. I completely mm. agree with you. And may I ask, not to ask too many questions, but what kind of property are you looking at for your SMSF? Well, I'm I'm big on houses and, and land. Um, you know, I, I want to try and find a property that is a, in a R2 zoning where you can um, hopefully subdivide. It's hard to find that. You need, you know, between the 13 to 15 metre frontage. Um, it's very limited areas that you could do that or they're not limited areas it's just limited opportunity out there because everyone's been thinking like that yeah um i'm not opposed to strata but i've you know i've got strata investments and i'm I'm, i feel like i'm trying to diversify and um i'm now feel like i'm at the level where i could comfortably make a uh take the risk you could say to do a construction development like that okay good i'm glad to hear that you're back out there you've got a couple of properties and you're still investing i'm in the same boat as you um Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. We'll have to get you back on the show again, ask you a thousand more questions. If any of you have questions for Theo, for myself, please reach out. Theo's on all the Instagram and Facebook and maybe even a TikTok account. I don't know. I haven't (laughs) seen it yet. Um, And uh, Theo's at Shaw Financial. Reach out if you have any financial-related questions. If you liked anything, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you so much.